politics Some culture and craft beer Politics And that is why you're here Politics Bottoms up Bottoms up and welcome back Glad you're able to join me as we delve into the last week or so of politics. I think I missed a week in there. That's all right. We'll cover what we can. And there's always something else on the horizon as well. To the beer we go. Uh, this week I picked up an odd side Patty's Red Irish Ale. I suppose maybe it's a leftover from a seasonal brew of St. Patrick's Day, which was just about a week ago. So maybe I'm trying to make up for that lost week. It says on the can, everyone knows if you capture a leprechaun, you get three wishes. But then it doesn't really say anything else about it. So I, I, I'm not really quite, quite sure why they put that on there. Was it to then, you know, lead to something about, you know, you've got your first wish by holding a patty's red? I'm not really sure. The description on it is a medium-bodied copper-colored ale, balanced malty sweetness, displaying notes of toffee and caramel with a slightly dry finish at 6%. So when I read that description, that really, really sounds like it's in my wheelhouse. Kind of malty, a dry finish, and I love toffee and caramel. And always caramel, never caramel. One of my pet peeves is when people say caramel. And then they want to try and justify it as both are correct. And no, both are not correct. One is wrong. In fact, just yesterday, no, Wednesday, I corrected a guy who I didn't even know. He was in town to help me with my business. And he said it and I let it go. And he said it again. And I said caramel. And then he acted like, it was a different flavor. He's like, or caramel. I was like, uh, no. <laughs> All right. So on to our odd side, Patty's Red. Um, should be a nice copper color, as it said. And it is a very nice copper color. Yeah, beautiful. Copper red color. A little bit of head on it. Fizzing up nicely. Mmm. Smells good as well. <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is pretty tasty. So... Um, I'm going to lean on the for me category right now. Um, and if it gets better, that's even better for me. Looking for my coaster. So when I set it down, it doesn't clink and I cannot find it. But I won't let that distract me. Okay, uh, let's get into it a bit. Um, obviously, the big news in the headline this week is the events that happen in Boulder. and Certainly, uh, my heart goes out to all the victims and the surviving victims of those that were directly involved. Uh, but once again, this always brings, every time one of these incidents happen, of course, the conversation of gun control comes up. And I remember there was a time on my social media post, I was deliberately picking sort of, you, you know, moments in time or parts of the calendar where there hadn't been a a a, a media mass shooting, and then I would just kind of throw some things out there about gun control because 
you know, there was that narrative that now is not, not the time to talk about gun control when you have this tragedy. Uh, interestingly enough, I think that that really wasn't the case this time because they know that's old and that the time to talk about it is when you have these mass shootings. And there are certain things that should be politicized. And this is one of those things that the politicization of a mass shooting in an effort to install better control of the killing machines that are in the hands of too many dangerous individuals, you know, that is the right time to speak of that when, in fact, you have these kinds of uh, tragedies. And, and then you, you pretty much kind of have the same talking points from the left and the right. And I, and I guess maybe that's my frustration along with millions of others um, that have the same frustration regarding these incidents and then the conversation surrounding it. I mean, I mean, one thing that Ted Cruz did say that was accurate was that he's tired of the political theater every time one of these mass shootings happen. Well, the reason that there's political theater is because there's no political action. And if there was political action, then perhaps you wouldn't need the theater. And he also failed to sort of recognize or at least admit that the Republican and the right-wing theater is just as theatrical as the left-wing theater, right? The, the, the right-wing says, you know, it's not guns and it's people, uh, you know, uh, Senator or, or Representative Kennedy out of Texas, you know, he, he said we need more idiot control. Okay, I'm fine with that. Tell me what that looks like. What does idiot control look like? I tend to agree that guns don't kill people, people kill people, but what gun control is all about is making sure that there are less guns in the hands of, you know, in, in, in fewer hands of those that shouldn't have them. And, you know, whatever that looks like, but that is ultimately the goal, right? If that means less guns in production and less guns in the United States, you know, then that's okay too. And none of what I'm saying infringes on the Second Amendment. None of it. So I, I think, you know, these, these arguments um, by the writer are disingenuous because they don't offer up any solutions. I think there was a proposal about trying to, you know, stiffen up the, the laws regarding the background check system. And that's all good. And I'm in favor of that. Uh, one of the, another talking point from the right is that we are too lax on those people that s submit a background check information to the FBI and either, I guess, when in, in cases where it would become problematic, was they were denied and they were denied for lying on their application, which is a felony. Well, the reason that isn't prosecuted is basically one of just resources. Do I think people that falsify information? on a firearm purchase application, I think it's called the 4473, should be prosecuted. Whatever that law is, they should be. But the reason they're not is not a Democrat or left-wing conspiracy to you know, create more gun violence and make gun owners look bad, because that's kind of the road you have to go down with them in order to support a conspiracy theory on such a thing. 
No, the reason that they don't get prosecuted is because there's no funding and there's no resources. And there's also very little work done to really determine who they are and how to go after them. Because again, that takes a, a whole lot of additional resources. But that's really about it when you when you talk to the conservatives or Republicans or, you know, I used to call them Trumpsters, I guess. I don't know what to refer to the right uh, the right wing nut jobs as anymore, except for maybe just the right wing nut jobs. But, you know, then that makes it seem like there aren't right wing nut jobs, that there's just the right wing or the conservative. And there really isn't because they've all kind of painted themselves into these various corners that, you know, defy, defy logic unless you get down into just radical points of view. You, you know, my, my take on the, the real solution for stemming gun, gun violence in America is it, there has to be a cultural shift. And I may have mentioned this in a, in a previous podcast because we've been doing this for a couple of years and, you know, we've had a number of mass shootings. And the only thing that's really going to uh, change the culture that America has, and that culture is not shared by all Americans, but that culture is shared by many Americans. And it's a culture of love of gun. There are many, many, many Americans out there that love to own guns, that love these killing machines. I guess for the most part, they feel like it's cool to have a killing machine in your hand. Maybe they just like the way that it looks or feels, but they don't really have any rational reason for it. And, and the statistics bear that out. Even, even for home defense, the statistics bear out the fact that you're more dangerous to have one than not. And just by owning one, you're contributing to the gun violence in America. Um, I recently got into a debate with somebody about who shouldn't have guns and they keep wanting to divide this up by law-abiding law citizens and criminals. And I, I find it very interesting because what defines a criminal? Um, you, you know, if, if I shoplifted when I was 12 years old, am I a criminal today? At, at what point are you not a criminal except for when you are just committing a criminal act? People aren't born into criminality Although the right wing nut jobs, okay, what is that? The RWNJs, uh, they believe that certain classes of people are basically born criminals um, because, again, that's where their logic takes them. But you know, after you pay your dues to society, are you still a law abiding, a law abiding citizen? Are you a law abiding citizen when you're obeying the law, which is what most of us are doing 99% of our time on earth? So the idea that people are separated between law-abiding and criminals, I, I think, is, is just somewhat laughable. Then somebody kind of chimed in and said, you know, it's a matter of felonies or not. Well, I think the guy in Boulder didn't have any felonies in his prior record. He had a misdemeanor. So was he a law-abiding citizen up until he decided to go and you know, mercilessly and in the most grotesque fashion, kill 10 people, you, you know, with what appears to be, you know, no regret or remorse or 
uh, human feelings whatsoever on his part. So he, he was a law-abiding citizen, and then one day he wasn't. It, it's kind of like when I speak about gun ownership in the U.S., and this is a concept that so many, I, I don't think, can even grasp on the right-wing side. Everyone is a responsible gun owner until they are not. So again, the guy in Boulder, he might have been a responsible gun owner. I don't know. They, he bought this gun six days prior to the shooting, but maybe he had another one. He would have always been considered a responsible gun owner until he wasn't. You know, the, the guy that shot up Las Vegas, a responsible gun owner until he wasn't. So these arguments that come from the right, they just don't make any sense. I, I was... I want to go back to what I was saying about the cultural change that has to happen in the U.S. on gun ownership. And I use the analogy or the metaphor. I'm not quite sure. I would need semicolon here to to tell me which one is, is which of smoking in the U.S., Smoking was wildly popular, right, in the 50s and the 60s and, and then into the 70s. But into the 70s, there became a change. And it was in large part funded by the government to tell people that smoking was really, really bad for you. And they even sort of, you know, went hard pressed against the tobacco lobbyists that had very, um, you know, very strong leverage within Washington. Ah, some beer there. It really is very delicious. And as I said, right in my wheelhouse of things that I like. Super dry finish. Anyway, um, and so the government started a campaign uh, along with private enter enterprises to say the smoking was really bad until we get to the point, until we got to the point that when we meet or see Smokers today, there's a stigma to that. We have stigmatized smoking. Like, don't you know that's going to kill you? Why would you smoke? You know, are you some kind of an idiot for smoking? Now, some people still want to smoke, and I know people, friends, family members that still do. I would still say the same thing. The difference is now they know, yes, I shouldn't smoke. We need to get to that level where gun ownership is kind of treated with the same stigma. If somebody tells me they own an AR-15, I would say, what the fuck for? You know, and, and, and hopefully there would be like a level of shaming to that person where maybe they even become closet. But at that point in time, that's when sales start to go down, gun ownership starts to go down, when we start to stigmatize it. And I think it's not going to happen through laws um, as we know it now. The cigarette thing it probably did happen through some laws, and I, I, I probably could do a little bit of homework on this uh, to find out how much government involvement there was. But all of a sudden, there was the warning labels, right, right on the cigarette packs. This could kill you. I don't know. Maybe those warning labels exist on on guns or gun packaging or whatnot. I don't think they do, but maybe they do. Um, but that's the kind of campaign, and it really does, I think, have to start with a large marketing campaign about the irresponsibility of owning a firearm, and especially certain firearms. Uh, the, the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention in the 
gun control debate is this notion that, and I said it earlier, guns don't kill people, people kill people with guns. That's not entirely true either. And there was a great article a couple years back uh, within um, Vox, and I quote them a lot, got to give props where they're due. And it basically talked, it, it, it kind of blew up that myth. And it talked about that there are certain guns like assault weapons and assault style weapons that really are made to be more lethal than other guns. Uh, you have a much higher probability of surviving uh, a gunshot from a pistol than you do an AR-15 style weapon. It's both in caliber and velocity and uh, the way that the uh, bullet rips through your body. These are, you know, factual, uh, statistical driven analysis that talks about the lethality of different weapons. And AR-15s are made to kill people. All handguns are as well, but that's one of the reason why I, you know, the M16 was brought into service in uh, Vietnam War because it was so lethal. You know, I, I don't always want to get into that nuance of guns don't kill people, uh, people kill people, um, because in fact, as I as I already said, certain guns do um, kill people because they are far more lethal, and that's what you see in uh, so many of these mass kind of psycho killings is the use of the AR-15. You know, one of the theories that I have about the Las Vegas shooter was he had amassed so much weaponry and this arsenal that he had was primarily designed to kill people that eventually he kind of thought this is what he has to do. You know, what do you have all these guns for? What do you have all these assault weapons for? Why do you have all this high-powered ammo? Well, I guess it's, I'm supposed to go use it. Um, you know, I, I think that has come out even in uh, some of the defense of some of these uh, AR perpetrators. Um, so it's just a, a super sad thing. I don't think anything will come of it. I don't think we'll get another assault weapons ban. Um, you know, I, I saw some cries on the on the sites from the right wing nut jobs that, you know, they said they weren't really coming to take our guns. And now that they are and now they are. And that's bullshit, too. Um, you know, we've already had an assault weapons ban. I'm fine with the Second Amendment I'm at standing. I mean, would I like to see it repealed? Would I like to see it amended? Yes. But. I, I can perf I, I can work within the framework of the Second Amendment and still believe things can be done uh, through laws and society to make society safer and have less gun violence. But in the meantime, I just don't think Washington will act. Um, I have very little faith. To me, the the epiphany uh, in that regard was Sandy Hook, and when you couldn't create new laws to try and stop gun violence. A after Sandy Hook, you really didn't have any political will to do so um, at all. And again, this is all Republicans because Democrats, you know, are and 
will try and pass legislation to, um, you know, end gun violence or reduce gun violence. Um, you know, the idea that we're coming to take your guns away, all that ever meant was we're, we're not coming for all your guns. We might be coming for some of your guns, but we're not coming for all your guns. And again, if that happens sometime in the future, then we can have that debate. The assault weapons ban was proven to be constitutional, and another one would also hold up in court, I think. One never knows with the uh, RWNJ PAC Supreme Court that we, we have right now. So, you know, never hold your breath. But uh, I still think it uh, it's going to change through cultural change and uh, not really from laws limiting gun use. I think it has to be laws that stigmatize gun ownership. So that's my take on that. A couple of other things in the news this week that I wanted to touch on. Biden had his first press conference today, and it was 64 days, and he doesn't do a lot of news gaggles uh, like the previous uh, poser president. And, you know, I didn't see it. I heard some mixed reviews about it in, in terms of his performance and, you know, are we looking, you know, at it through a microscope in terms of his own physical being. Uh, but other than that, I'm not sure that he made much in the way of news. You know, he said that he's going to run his his anticipation is that his expectation is that he's going to run again in 2024 he did address immigration, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this a little bit. And this notion that what's happening at the border is somehow his his problem or um, caused by him is a, another right wing nut job lie. Um, the policies that he's working under actually are the same policies that. The previous administration kind of ended up with after supposedly they had stopped separating children from their parents. And then the same policies that were part of the Obama administration, which we can debate are the right policies or not. And I don't think that they, they really are. But he didn't open up borders. And what's happening right now is Republicans are claiming that Biden has said the borders are open. And so that's why there's this onslaught of immigrants wanting to come in. There are two real big problems with that. One is they're creating the problem. If you're an immigrant and you want to, you know, seek asylum in the U.S. and you hear American politicians say Biden now has an open border policy or you're reading some kind of, you know, media um, publication or catching some media outlet that is repeating this, then that might be the time that you would want to travel to America. But probably more important than that is it's not even like an increase of people trying to come into the border versus other spikes that we've had. So, you know, both kind of make it a lie. One is the Republicans are the ones saying that Biden has opened the border, but two, not many more people other than kind of the standard spikes that do happen at various times throughout the year and over a number of years are still occurring at the border. 
And one of the things that you'll never see from the right is anything that resembles a statistic. You know, one that says right now people seeking asylum is up 250% of where it was at the highest peak of the Trump presidency. There, there, there probably is no such statistic for them to quote. Or if it is, they would say, we are roughly right around 100% or 110% or 90% of previous spikes. And that's why they don't use the statistics. They'd much rather use the hyperbole. And that hyperbole is something that if there is an increase, they are feeding into. It's, 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 just, it's, it's, it's just so whacked. There's no question that we have problems at the border. We have to solve them. I don't want to see anyone in cages. Detention holding, I understand, for short periods of time. How to move children through the system better. How to track people better. There's so many ways that we can do this in a humanitarian way. But at this point in time, I can't put any of this on the shoulders of Biden and his administration, especially since... They were given no help in transition, and you know they're trying to patch up basically what the previous administration had put into place. So it's just uh, it's, it's it's just lunacy is is what it is. Uh, the other the other item that I wanted to touch on was Mr. Mitch McConnell and his ongoing gaslighting of the filibuster. First, he said it was going to be like Armageddon if the Democrats eliminated the filibuster. And today, he said that there was no racial history uh, that was part of the filibuster. And, you know, both of these things are, you know, blatantly false. The filibuster has been used almost between... I just read this stat between like 1917 and 1964, something along those lines. Half of the time the filibuster filibuster was used was over civil rights issues. So it, it is a tool because so many other things can be bipartisan. And when it comes to the civil right aspect, that's where Republicans often dig in the hardest. And then that's where they'll use the filibuster. So it's really not a surprise you know, even just the idea of the filibuster was, again, to give those states that had less standing within government, which were, in many cases, the slave states, more power. I don't know if that's really why it was created, but in effect, a lot of the mechanisms and format of our early government was to make sure that the slave states, which were a minority still held power within the United States government as, so they would be able to maintain their slave ownership atrocities. Uh, so, of course, there's a lot of racism built into the filibuster. And, you know, in the Mitch McConnell world and in the uh, basically in the right wing nutjob world, there is no racism. Uh, you know, when pressed into trying to get them to engage in a conversation of racism. They, they just live, they just want to live in a world that it doesn't exist. Because if it does exist, then then, you know, that kind of switches their worldview and then you would have to address it. So rather than address 
racism. You just say it doesn't exist. And if it does exist, it's always reverse racism. It's always blacks that are hating whites or blacks that are given this and or minorities that are given this. And, and you know, the white man is always the victim. So that's their idea of racism, which, again, is, you know, lunacy, obviously. And, and lastly, I kind of wanted to talk about a story that I, I, I find humorous, as I do so often. Uh, and that is this recent uh, legal play by Sidney Powell, one of the Trump lawyers uh, that was running around the courts trying to get them to listen to her voter fraud case. And of course, they were all thrown out of court. And then she was hit by a billion dollar lawsuit by one of the voting machine companies that she said basically had rigged the election in favor of Biden. Her defense now is that she wasn't lying about that. It was strictly an opinion. And that opinion was so far-fetched that, air quotes, no reasonable person, and air quotes, would believe it. And it, it, it just is astounding that this is what a lawyer is now arguing in court. First of all, they should be immediately disbarred. And, and I hope Sidney Powell does get disbarred because you can't go to court, lie, and then use as your justification for lying later that the cat just tore right out of here if you heard that. And then use a justification of your lie later on that it was preposterous enough where nobody would have believed it. I mean, it, it, it really stretches just the logical mind to think that this is allowable in our criminal justice system or in our court system at all, because these necessarily weren't criminal actions. It is the same. It is the same and effective defense that uh, Tucker Carlson has used, uh, his lawyers, not himself. I think um, it might have been tried um, with the, you know, the Sandy Hook denier. Um, his name escapes me right now, and his uh, YouTube uh, show that is now taken off the air. And I think Janine Pirro also uh, has used this defense when she's getting up there and just you know spewing lies about Trump or about Democrats, and and then you know when defamation is brought against them, saying I'm an entertainer. And what I'm saying is so preposterous, nobody should believe it. You know, kind of the parody. So I guess now we're to consider Sidney Powell, you know, part of the onion, right? Uh, it's so preposterous, uh, nobody should believe her. As I said, it's at a minimal, it's reason to be disbarred. Uh, I think it's criminal. And I think that she should be held in contempt by any court that she argued in front of, uh, and the idea that she was trying to make this an opinion and not presenting it as fact is uh, just disgusting. You know, it, it, I, I guess it's, it's still bothering me because you still have these lawsuits pending where everyone 
is now basically saying that there was no voter fraud and everything is being thrown out of court and has been thrown out of court. And now the people that made the lies are saying that we weren't really lying. We were just giving bad opinions that nobody else should believe. And you have this going on at the same time. You have more than half of the states passing voter restriction laws and those voter restriction laws to suppress people voting are basically built on the lies that Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump told. And so which is it, right? Either you create laws based on fact, or now you're creating laws based on lies. You, you, you know, and, and we know what the answer is in this case. And that was another thing McConnell said today or yesterday, where he, he said that, you know, in no fashion or form are Republicans engaged in trying to suppress the vote. I, I don't know who believes this nonsense that he says, but there are over 25 states right now that are actively looking to pass laws, and Iowa's one of them, to suppress voting. They don't have ideas on increased voter participation. They don't want to um, you know, make it easier for people to vote. They're, they have one goal, and that is to suppress minority voting. That's it. And uh, it's, it's blatantly obvious, and I hope that you know, anyone involved in, you know, the lies that led up to all of these. Um, it, it's interesting. Without the lies, let me let me put it this way. If if Trump wouldn't have started the uh, the election was stolen mantra, which it really was basically him. Right. It was it, it's it's he kind of started this movement and then the rest of the right wing nutjobs had to fall in line because they couldn't go against him because they lose his base and then they're primary and then they lose a seat because that that primary person is we'll call them the ERWNJ the extreme right wing nut job right but if if you wouldn't have had that happen if you wouldn't have had Trump starting the big lie and would have gracefully uh conceded defeat which i know it's you know it's it's fantastical to think that's what would have happened. What have we been seeing these laws to suppress voter participation? I'm thinking we probably would, maybe not with the zeal that they're currently doing, but I, I, I'm kind of in the camp that you probably would see just as many, but may, maybe maybe not because they do know that it's a way that they, one of the ways that they're going to have to uh, change what's happening in the United States today in order to win elections. Uh, you know, they, they can't win them based on popular vote any longer. They, the, the demographics, two things, the demographics aren't there and two, their policies aren't there. Uh, I, I forget which Republican it was. And he, he really kind of made sense. I don't think he was in office at the time. He might've been like from a conservative think tank. Uh, but as, essentially what he said was Republicans don't really do themselves a favor by pointing out that minorities uh, don't support them any longer, because that basically says that their ideology and their policies are a failure to say like immigrants, right? Immigrants coming into this country could very well be 
ultra conservative, you know, from a religious standpoint, from a welfare standpoint. There's lots of ways to, to be conservative without being a right wing nut, nut job. And if their conservative ideals aren't appealing to them, maybe the ideals are wrong. And it's not that the person is wrong. Just saying kind of makes sense to me. All right. Well, I do have to continue on drinking. And that's really kind of all I had on my plate today, politically speaking. I did want to mention something that happened to me this past weekend that uh, I don't know if, you know, I would get hate mail for it if I got any mail at all. But I was able to attend a live music show. And if you've been following Pottoms Up for um, the three years that we've been on, you would know that uh, I go to a lot of shows and I used to go to a lot of, you know, concerts and club shows and I follow the blues, which also means, you know, a lot of smaller acts and smaller venues. And when COVID happened and then shut all that down, I, I think I had something in the neighborhood of like 15 events where the, the tickets were either refunded or postponed or they're somewhere out in limbo. And the first show that I was able to go see, um, in fact, I mentioned it, I think, uh, on the last podcast, maybe, that I was that I, I had tickets to Anthony Gomes. It was a terrific show. And I don't know if I'm feeling any kind of guilt because maybe they shouldn't have had the show. I don't, there's really no, you know, contact, uh, contact tracing that has happened from the show that I know of, but do we all still have to do our part? And I thought the venue was doing their very best because I think they they saw this as an opportunity. I don't know if it was their if it was the venue's first show. It was Anthony Gomes's first show since hitting the road again. You know, they had 50% capacity. They had very good spacing on the tables. Uh, we actually sat in the back, so we were kind of even further away from other people. They had management sort of blocking the bar area, which was kind of interesting. And if you went to the bar without your mask to get a drink, they didn't have any waitress service. And if you, which they normally would, but uh, so they kind of wanted to stop cross-contamination in that way. If you went to the bar without your mask, you weren't getting past management. So I don't know. You know, I talked a little bit about normalcy and, um, you know, is this uh, part of what normalcy will be? Um, it felt great to hear live music. Um, the performer, he was thrilled to death to be up there playing live music. Um, and there was a, a, a number of shout outs to, you know, here we are again. And, you know, those were always met with pretty strong applause uh, so that was kind of that fun interaction with the crowd. You know, I, I don't have any other uh, tickets to speak of right now. And, you know, I don't, I, I stumble a little bit on the hypocrisy argument. You know, is it hypocritical to say you're a part of the solution, but then also be part of the problem with the continued spread of COVID? Uh, I suppose that it is. Uh, it's it's just always very difficult. A, a coworker, uh, I was informed today, was contacted because he had been contact traced due to exposure. 
I saw him briefly on Saturday. So, you know, kind of it got me thinking about the show and about the interaction with people, even though everyone's still trying to do their part. Tough living conditions. Um, you know, concerts certainly aren't a must go to. And, you know, maybe that's where uh, I do feel sort of a tad guilty. I had another friend of mine hit me up yesterday about another show, about another blues guitar. And, you know, they're doing, uh, I think it's the same location, limited number of seats, limited seating. And if I wanted to go and I'm kind of thinking not. So maybe I pick and choose. You know, if it was, maybe it's just the artist that I'm not all that interested in. Anyway, um, I'll tell you, it was a great show. Uh, Anthony Gomes is a uh, terrific entertainer, very well polished. So I give him the plug, I suppose. Um, Maybe that uh, eases the guilt a little bit. Anyway, so that's all I got. And I'll uh, pick it back up uh, next week or 10 days or whatever kind of suits my schedule. In the meantime, you've got lots to uh, to listen to that suits your schedule. Appreciate it very much, and bottoms up. Politics, some culture and craft beer. Politics, and that is why you're here. Politics, I don't.